Hi, everybody, and welcome to Pitch Please. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome, or of course, welcome back for those that have been listening. We appreciate you. We are Rebellious PR, a boutique PR firm breaking down walls in our relentless pursuit of visibility for movers, shakers, and this is all in a myriad of industries. So this is seen through the eyes of this team here, consisting of fellow rebel rousers, thought leaders, and free thinkers. And I'm here to help take you through this pod. Welcome. I am Megan Jones. Um, please head on over to our SoundCloud at Rebellious PR. Download us wherever you snag your pods. Uh, and just follow along on our adventures, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're in all the places. At Rebellious.PR is where you can find us. Uh, of course, on our show today, along with me, founder and CEO, Evie Smith. Hello. Hello, welcome. And of course, VP in the house, Rachel Johnston. Hey. Hey, welcome. Um, our theme, um, typically we have a theme every season for the podcast. This time it's all about trailblazers, right? How they're cutting through the noise. So on today's show, I'm so excited. We have co-founder and VP of design for Crave, T. Chang. T is an industrial designer, entrepreneur, activist, just super passionate uh, passionate about designing beautiful products for women. Welcome, T. Hi, thank you all for having me. Absolutely. So excited to be here. Yes, we are super, super stoked. I was just going to say, Rachel and I are your um, fly girls today wearing your face on our bodies right now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I am, I am going to take a screen grab of this. (laughs) All this goodness. It's, it's pretty awesome. Um, I can't wait to, to rock mine here around my house. Cause you know, that's where things are happening these days. So, um, I make sure all these t-shirts are oversized. So, you know, we like things comfy, right? Absolutely. I feel no. like I didn't pick heavy enough gold earrings for this shirt. And so I will, when I wear this shirt for realsies in front of people that can see it, I will be wearing like bigger hoops. I cannot wait. I grabbed my biggest hoops when I put it on. (laughs) Your your hoops have made me realize the errors of the error I made in my earring selection today. (laughs) The error of your ways. Um, Well, obviously we consider you a a trailblazer T and, you know, I think some of the most notable and disruptive inventions of tomorrow, you know, require, um, you know, change in a way that we interpret things today and the way we perform tasks and the technologies and, and resources we have access to. So I think that that's, you know, definitely why we wanted to to have you on the show. Yeah, we just want to like kick off um, our combo with you. Um, for those who don't know you or aren't familiar with you, we'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how, you know, you came to crave and all the all the good things. Yeah, so um, I got my start um, as an industrial designer. So I'm a classically trained industrial designer. um, Basically, that just means that's literally all I know on paper. (laughs) My undergrad was in industrial design. My master's in design. And so I've basically been working on consumer products um, for big companies for a number of years before... um, I was about 28 years old. Um, I'm 40 now. Um, When I was 28, I had gained enough experience and I realized that so much of what we take for granted in this world as far as products and the everyday objects that we use were not actually designed with women in mind. And this was very apparent to me because 
in every job up until that point, I had been the first female industrial designer. And I was working on products like hairbrushes, like hello, hairbrushes, like who, who, who buys the most hairbrushes? Like, you know, certainly wow, not men. Yeah. However, the, the way that decisions were made and how these products were developed, it was all surround. It was simply male, you know, dominated teams. And so from that realization, I realized, wow, if that's the case, then there are products that are specifically and unique to the female experience that also suffer from this male dominance in the product development team. And so, yeah. So from there, I kind of shifted my gaze and started to look at products that are specifically, you know, focused on women and, you know, in the area of adult toys, specifically vibrators is where I guess my, you know, piqued my interest. And, um, you know, back then, uh, it was in, um, I guess that was in 2007, 2008 when I started, uh, my first company, um, just, focusing on um, elevating the idea of sex toys, um, I was just kind of disillusioned, like a lot of women, um, you know, when we walk into a sex shop and we see things are very alien to us, like literally aliens. And we, I mean, for me, you know, perhaps this is why I became a designer. Um, I like beautiful things. I like things that I feel comfortable with. I like things I don't have to hide. Um, so yeah, that gives you a nutshell of kind of my approach. And so that's why I started a company because I believe women deserve beautiful vibrators. So so what you're saying is back in 2007, you went into a sex shop and decided that you wanted something other than a pink dildo. Yeah, yeah. And I just had this idea, just a little tiny hunch that maybe other women might want something that's not phallic and not crazy looking too, just maybe. And um, so luckily- I, I think um, I think uh, I think there's something there, you know, because <laughs> now it's been about 12 years. Um, so since I so long wind, also just a little background is that after I started my first company in 2008, um, two years after that, I sold my company to Crave, which is now I am co-founder and uh, VP of design of, um, and just continuing that journey of elevating vibrators for women. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey so far. I'm, I'm really, um, fascinated, um, before I throw it over to Rach, um, you know, obviously, um, I'm a super stalker on Instagram, um, and always I feel on your stories. And I was seeing the thing that you were talking about sketching, um, was a big thing. So like as a child, were you like, was art something that was always a passion? Is that how you sort of like, you know, tunneled into industrial design? Like, I'm just yes, curious about yes. that. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in a small, predominantly white Christian town, very, very small from Georgia. Mm. And as we know, all eyes are on Georgia Ooh, now. Yeah. Um, I cannot yeah. believe like of all the states anyway, but um, I didn't really, like, it's not a very sophisticated, progressive town uh, where I grew up. And so, you know, if you had an inkling of creativity, it's like, oh, you're either an artist or you're a drama person or you're a band person or you're a jock or you're uh, like a, you know, you're on the math team. Okay. And I try a little of everything except for the, being a jock and things like that. Um, and I guess art was just the, 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 the room that I felt most comfortable in. And, you know, also being an outsider, you know, I'm Taiwanese. Um, I actually didn't even speak English when I first moved into into the States when I was six years old. Um, I was in ESL class for a very long time, but a long wind of saying, because I was not white, 
um, I very much felt excluded. Um, and so art, the art classroom was a place that I felt like I was very welcome because I didn't have to figure out who I wanted to sit next to in the cafeteria. <laughs> I still talk about this with my therapist, but, <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, it was just a place where I feel like that was my solace. That was the place where I could do whatever I wanted. And there was no wrong answers there. And I think from that, um, that led me to kind of, um, that helped with my grades. And that's how I kept a scholarship that got me into Georgia tech, um, and which led me to design. So, when we're talking about design and the sex toy industry, obviously, uh, where we were at in 2008 to where we are now has changed quite a bit, largely in part to some of the work that you have done uh, to move the needle on the industry. Um, so I'd love to hear about uh, where you think the industry is now and where you think it's going. The industry now, I think, is, is entering really... Um um, exciting phase, I think. And, um, unfortunately due this year, because of 2020, it has expedited, I think some things in the wellness and self-care industry that may not have moved as quickly, I think. Um, so, you know, when I started in 2008, there weren't that, I mean, you know, it's still dominated by the old school, old boys club of, um, kind of this, porn industry uh, turn sex toy manufacturer um, type of place. And I just never really identified or felt comfortable in that space. And so, and I was trying to craft a product that, you know, really spoke to women that was coming from a very female centric point of view. Um, And I think, I think What's interesting is that because this this industry is not that sophisticated, so to speak, the bar, the, the barrier to entry was kind of low, okay? I was able to get access to buyers and I was able to hustle my way to get my products in there and show it to people. And because they liked my products, they worked, I was able to quickly get orders and kind of get out there, okay, so to speak. So that's in a way that because the industry was kind of where, where it is, um, I was able to kind of quickly be there early. Um, now I think in the last five years, we have seen so many other female founders and designers, you know, like just, uh, or businesses that are female led is that, I think that's amazing. I think that's helping to raise the tide for everyone. So, um, and also with COVID it has provided us new channels or uh, emphasize existing channels, uh, of building that relationship with our customers that normally, like, I think it's, in other places, like, like people had to go to like some sketchy store somewhere or things like that. So I think, um, it's become more accessible and more female led brands. When you started designing sex toys, um, what was the, what was the why? Like, what was the, 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 the why behind the problem you were trying to solve or the inspiration for like jewelry as a vehicle? Um, what was going, what was going on in your creative brain? (laughs) Um, the why I think, um, maybe because I was raised, I was never raised with the sense that sex was shameful or bad. Okay. My parents raised me in this way, maybe because they're, because they're, they're scientists that, um, they treated sex very, as matter of factly. And I couldn't understand why the way that products were designed, these vibrators that I was seeing at that time, all just kind of was ingrained with this, uh, experience of shame because you're embarrassed about the form, you're embarrassed about the size, you're embarrassed about the noise, you were shameful 
of having it around and and for me i'm like that that is just 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 bizarre like that's just a terrible experience especially in pleasure where it's something about feeling good about yourself and celebrating yourself so i started to think about ways that we can take something from this bedroom from a shameful place into a more open space where people would feel comfortable talking about it because the most important thing i think to combat shame is being able to be open and have conversations around it. Um, and so the idea of a piece of jewelry that you wear proudly, um, that created conversations wherever you go, was something that, I don't know, it just seemed so crazy, but I knew it could be beautiful and that people would be into it if they just saw it. Um, so that was kind of the, the whole idea for me is that I wanted to elevate this object from a place of shame and the gutter to something that is like, look, it is what it is. And also to uh, almost like a status symbol and just feeling empowered about oneself. Yeah. I think that's one of the magical things about the Vesper is that if you, if you're wearing it or you see someone wearing it, if you know what it is, it's like a, like a wink. Um, you know, it's like a, it's a sly smile. You like kind of acknowledge that person. It's like you share this quiet conversation. And if you, yeah, it's like a secret sisterhood. Yeah. That's what yeah. someone has said to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you don't know what it is, like, you know, I've had people when I've worn mine, just be like, what, what is that cool necklace? You know, what is like, what a cool piece of jewelry. And then that opens up a conversation. So like, you know, quite literally it's, uh, I think so many sex toy companies, uh, have this, um, ambitious goal of destigmatizing sexuality. And I think that that is, um, that is great. I love that that language is being used, but, um, at the end of the day, these are, these are toys that go back in your nightstand and what you've created is a way to destigmatize it, um, out publicly, um, Mm -hmm. to, to have conversations in pleasure on the street, in a bar, in a restaurant, um, without having to like whip a, a toy out of your purse or something. Cause that would be weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember this woman who said to me, like, I take it on dates with me because it's my litmus test to see if this guy is cool or not. You know? <laughs> if he's going to have an issue with me wearing a vibrator, I'm like, uh-uh. And then he's not cool enough to hang with me, you know, but if he's into it, then I'm like, oh yes, then he cares about my pleasure. And so, yeah, it, it's really interesting how different people have these different experiences. And I think, it's one of those products that I think you just cannot user research this. You know what I mean? Like if you put it on a questionnaire, like would you wear a vibrator around your neck? No one would say yes. You know what I'm saying? Like no one asked for it, but like when you see it, you're like, Oh hell yeah. I totally wear that. You know? Um, but you know, at the same time, I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's kind of the craziness about it. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I am, the biggest madman men fan on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always was obsessed with Joan's pen necklace and the mm. Vesper sort of it reminiscent of that for me. And that pen necklace also had such like a take, char- like I am the head bitch in charge in this office attitude. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm just like, I, I'm seeing some similarities there. I've heard that. I've, uh, people have sent me photos of Joan wearing that necklace. And uh, for some reason, someone has also told me it reminded them of like back in the days where people like some secretaries or some women would wear these Coke 
necklaces. (laughs) Yeah. And like, so there's just, I think there's like a special place in your chest, like where people wear things like medals and, you know, uh, statement jewelry that just Mm -hmm. says something about how they want to perceive in the world. And I think that's kind of profound. Um, so, so yeah. And then I think that's just one aspect of Vesper. You know, the other aspect is that it, it actually still functions perfectly fine as a vibrator. Um, you know, please, I think people sometimes think that I, I'm saying every woman needs to wear a vibrator to feel empowered. It's like, no, like, girl, you do you. Okay. If you want to wear it, you can't, it's just, this is a pro as a designer, my role is to get a product out there that, um, provides a new experience, you know? And then for those women who don't want to wear it out, who would never wear it, that's, that's perfectly valid. Um, it just takes off, just take off the chain and you can use it as a vibrator at home and it works just as well. There's no compromises. So, um, Yeah. yeah, it's options. You've got options there. Um, so as a, uh, woman of color in a, d- a space that's primarily dominated by men, um, in 2020, we want to know what is keeping you awake at night? It's keeping me awake. Um, for sure, because I mean, well, uh, prior to this month, uh, it was whether or not we're going to get a new president, <laughs> but now mm-hmm. finally, you know, after all this kicking and screaming and, um, you know, like, okay, I feel better about that. that that's good. Um, it's feeling hopeful. Um, and I think right now is that uh, as a small business, um, I still, you know, even though we've been doing it, going at this for, t- for 10 years, we're still a small business, um, is trying to figure out how to adapt to the new world. Um, because even though things are okay, I think we're doing fine. Um, you know, fine enough that we've never, we haven't had any layoffs or reduced hours or anything like that. Thank goodness. Um, but it's a very difficult business challenge, um, about Mm -hmm. how we want to talk to our customers, how we want to engage them, you know, on social media, you know, the email and, and I'm sensitive to, um, just, just this time right now. So, so yeah, that's, what's keeping me awake. Yeah. Um, imposter syndrome. How are you with it? <laughs> What's your relationship like with imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know, I, I saw a like a carousel on like Instagram about there are different types of imposter syndrome, and apparently, uh, and I think I learned from that carousel that I apparently I'm a perfectionist. I have a bit of perfectionism, imposter syndrome in me, which means that I never think I I, I am good enough and I can, I can learn more. I can grow, you know, and I think that's just, I I always think, you know, we can grow. Um, so I think that definitely impacts me, but the other token of that is that I feel like maybe, I think you guys totally understand this is that, you know, you guys have met some really outstanding people. You've met some really interesting people, famous people and people who are in positions of power and you realize they actually don't even really know what they're doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Is that there is just yeah nobody knows what they're doing right totally yep. exactly and so I I always yep. go back to this phrase I learned from the book Feminist Fight Club by Jessica Bennett. Um, oh yeah, yes. Um, this phrase literally like this phrase just sates me every time when I'm like, okay, what should I do? What would a mediocre white man do? <laughs> oh, totally. 
Totally. Yeah, I do that with um I used to do that with job interviews and salary negotiations. I, think we all have that I would actually thought. like visualize myself as like a very attractive white man and then like go into salary negotiations and it always worked. That's exactly right. I remember there's been times where I was like, okay, it's been a few years. Maybe I should ask for a raise. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. And then I'm like, okay, what would a white dude do? Of course he would. And then I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Kinda... Absolutely. Do you think too, just sorry, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to, I'm supposed to hand it over to Megan, but I'm gonna ask one more question. Um, <laughs> do you think that your relationship, like I personally, since we are both women of a certain age, which is very close in age together, like, I think, I feel like it gets easier to be in your own skin as you get closer to 40. And I feel personally just feel like I, I don't feel like I have to constant, I'm not as shouty about proving myself anymore. You know, like, is it the same for you? Yes. And Yes. I, I love being, I mean, I just entered my forties this year. I'm 40 and I definitely would never go back to my twenties ever again. Like thirties, you know, it was better. It was better, but I just feel like the older I've gotten, just the more I've been able to enjoy myself and my life and give way less fucks about anyone else's opinion. Um, and this is the reason why I think like, you know, when I, like my grandma, she, she was, you know, 90 something and around when she was like 70, 80, she would just fart whenever she wanted to, you know what I mean? And I feel like that is to the point where you just kind of like, you're old enough, you've earned the right, you can do whatever the fuck you want. And then like that, I'm like, that's what I'm going to do when I get to that age. She burps and yeah, you know? So yes, I I appreciate getting (laughs) older. all have tea, grandma, zero fucks mentality. I love that. I mean, I'm after quarantine, I'm just like, I don't care. Any, like, I'll, I'll, this was my first year of marriage. I'm like, the mystique is gone. <laughs> like, we've been together way too much this year. I mean, yeah, I'm living by myself for the first time in 20 years. There's no way I could ever like go back it's like I'm you know peeing with the door open just like naked all the time like talking about burping and farting like yeah of course that's like nobody around par for the course yeah that's it's I'm in my own world why not definitely agree with you as somebody who is right on y'all's coattails uh in the age department uh <laughs> that is definitely something that I completely agree with um I also think something it's- I What's that? I was just going to say, I also think it's helpful that we all like have each other to validate these experiences, right? Like there are so many of us in this, you know, ladies of a, of a certain age grouping where, you know, in our, um, we were all raised in like a, a similar, uh, landscape in our society and that landscape and the lens that we were raised in was very different from our mothers. And the reason why they, our mothers raised us the way they did and the, like the things that seeped into us in society was because of, you know, the, the shoulders of women before them, they were standing on. So there's, um, there's this really lovely support that we have in each other where, you know, when we have imposter syndrome, we can tell each other that it's bullshit and we can call it out when we see, you know, mediocre men failing upward and we can, you know, lift each other up and tell each other that like your work is good enough. You are good enough, you know, you know, and and I so appreciate the fact that we are, I I don't know. it's, It's kind of funny because I did not feel like we could talk about and, um, sexism, racism, um, 
and openly support women in the way that we can now versus like even 10 years ago. Um, and I, I, I'm just so glad that this is, this is, you know, we are all finally doing this. Um, yeah. So openly. Yeah. I, I think, you know, to Rachel's point, right. Is like, you know, I grew up in a Catholic household. Like it was just expected that I was going to like marry like a white Irish Catholic man and have, four babies and like, you know, the whole thing, right. Where it's like, you know, um, much to my mother's chagrin, like, you know, she raised me to be better than that. <laughs> and even though she was really hoping for that. So I think it's just like interesting to be in this space where I feel like, you know, women of our caliber and, you know, of our mindset, it's like, no wonder we have imposter syndrome because nobody's done anything like what we're doing. You know, we're sort of like setting the bar and setting the pace and, um, you know, sort of let elevating everybody else along, along with us. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an, an interesting space to be in and, and like super thankful for the, the support on, on that. Um, I think like a question that I've sort of had lingering in my head is like, has it always been, you know, vibrators or is there any other like product idea or company idea that you had that you didn't chase after and you just sort of like set that aside? Yeah. Um, I used to collect pocket knives, a lot of pocket knives. Um, I, for ever since I think it was, um, uh, I think college, I started always, I always carried a pocket knife with me, not for protection. It's not that it was more that I just thought it was a freaking useful tool. You know, I'm a designer. I'm always working in the shop. I need to open up packages. Like for me, just having a little like pocket knife, you know, that worked really well was really important to me. And I just thought it was just a, an essential tool that every woman should have. And I always, I, I found that you know, there were a lot of pocket knives that just really weren't designed with women ergonomics in mind. And so that was an area I thought about it for hot moment. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And then I just, I don't know. It's just one of those things that maybe I wasn't, I mean, I still would love to design a pocket knife one day, um, before I die is one of those things. Um, I would love to design. I also, also would love to design a rocking chair. I want to design the coolest grandma rocking chair. So grandma T can I, I can just sit there and fart and rock my yes. way. Into the sunset. <laughs> yes. Um, I want one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, those things are definitely still like, you know, kind of linger in the back of my head, but whether or not I would actually start a company to do that, um, as, um, with the same kind of gusto, like with crave, you know, with, with this, I, I don't know, because, Damn, Evie, I mean, you know, yeah, it is I fucking mean, hard. <laughs> it's interesting because I I have been getting sort of a um, an itch for like second business itch um, mm -hmm. for a little bit now. And I think I, I will think kill when you. My life is done with rebellious. I think I really I have always really wanted to have some sort of like storefront of some mm -hmm. kind, whether it's like a coffee shop or a bookstore um, something like a little bit quieter, um, and something where it's like, I'm not necessarily as beholden to the internet. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, like the last five years, like I, as far as I'm concerned, I have a PhD in business at this point, And I am like, I feel like I can take my skills and apply them anywhere. But at this, it's like, would I, would I do it again? Absolutely. 
maybe like with like a little Adderall. I don't know. Like it's like, (laughs) I am purely amazed at the, uh, the um, energy output that it takes to run a business. Um, and it's like, I'm starting to get grays after 2020, which I'm like proud of, but I'm like, you know, shit's stressful. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I found more gray hairs in 2020 than I mm-hmm. have ever. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it's, it's the, yeah, it, it is. Um, uh, by the way, I know how much you love Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. We need to talk because I've had this <laughs> idea about having a storefront in Joshua Tree. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know. I know. I know. Girl. Sorry. Girl. Girl. I know. Girl. I know. Girl. I know. Girl. Yeah. So we talk later, but um I mean, yeah, it is <laughs> We just birthed a business right here on this podcast, y'all. <laughs> I don't even care what it is. You've heard it I first. Wanna wear, I want to wear a caftan and just like be a, a desert goddess. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't even know what we were talking about, but <laughs> No, I can see these I can see these rocking chairs going over really well, perhaps in Joshua Tree. Caftans, rocking chairs. I I feel that this is like a real thing. I mean, in that same, you know, in that same vein, T, what, what advice do you have for first time founders? Any nuggets? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've been in the Bay area for, yeah, about 10 years uh, now. Um, and as we know, it is like the tech hub and the startup hub of like, you know, us. Um, and I meet a lot of people who, want to start businesses because they think they can make a quick buck. They think they can get rich overnight. And, or I find I've met some people who just simply want to start a business because they wanted that founder title. Okay. And I think those are really superficial. And I think those are absolutely the wrong reasons to put you in this, this world of hurt, just to get those two super shallow things, because just like Evie has articulated and what, you know, it, it's not easy. And I think, um, you know, if anyone would just start a business, they really should start it for the right reasons. Okay. And this reason should be something that is deeply fulfilling, um, and not something that is just a topical thing. Um, because this is so hard that if you're not in it for the right reasons, you cannot weather the ups and the downs, the extreme high, when you get like your first media hit, you know, and extreme lows when something totally goes wrong, you know, and you're just going to want to quit, um, if you're not in it for the right reason. So, so yeah, the, do it for a reason that's deeply fulfilling. I love that. E- e- Evie would, are you, you, you're like gelling with this. <laughs> I just like, I agree with everything. I think it's, um, I think the startup mentality makes you think that you can have a good idea and, and, and get a million dollars in funding. And the, and the fact of the matter is, it's like, you know, there are months out of the year I don't get paid. And um, I am making far less at Rebellious than I would if I was like in a director role at Adidas two blocks away from my house, you know? So I definitely do this for the love of doing it um, and for the create, like the creation aspect. And, you know, we see it, we've seen it, we experience it in the sense of like, there's people that want to be famous and they think that if they can create a company, a hot startup, that they can be, that is their ticket to fame. And it's always to us, we're like very, um, you know, empathetic, emotionally intelligent people. And we can kind of smell it the second somebody walks through our door. And it's just like, 
you know, it's not going to be, it's, it just, it doesn't have the same longevity as something like Crave, which is like always, it's like a beautiful, well-designed, well-thought-out product. Um, and it, it just, you know, you guys have been around for so long and it's like, that has, that is long game. You know, that's what the goal should always be. It shouldn't be like trying to get your Hollywood uh, star on the walk of fame or whatever. That's my, that's my POV right there. Thanks for coming to my TED talk, everybody. I'll see myself out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, re- really though, um, you know, I think it does require, you know, you're talking about sort of like empathy. It just, it takes a different, if you're in it for the money, like you're, you're barking up the, the wrong tree, I guess. The kids are still saying that, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, like you're, you're in the age of social media. There are a million different ways you can make a quick buck and starting a business is just not the smartest way. It's the, right. it's the hardest way. some money. Yeah. You know, I'm like, there's some other pyramid schemes that you could do or what? I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> Scientology. No. Well, yeah, I, I think to your point though, to you, right. Is like, there is like the way social media currently functions along with sites that, you know, while are great tools like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and things of that nature, those are amazing tools, but like that, those like couple of tools together alone can't make a great business. Like, you know, there has to be, you know, just like more thought, more research, more, you know, you have to, uh, have many sleepless nights, uh, planned out ahead of you. Like, yeah. And I also think that the, the bar for businesses are even higher because yeah. from a designer standpoint it used to be, you know, a hundred years ago, you know, that like, okay, we just wanted something that just worked. That just worked well enough, right? It didn't kill anybody. And then after that, it's like, oh no, we need something that is, you know, that works good and that looks good, you know, that like also suits my taste. Um, and then now I think we're in an age where it's like it looks good, it you know, it functions, and it needs to make me feel a certain way. There and also we want our companies to be ethical. You know, because we're tired of being disillusioned and being disappointed by these big corporations. And so, yeah, I think the bar for, you know, so if you're going to start a business today, I think you need to be someone who is not tone deaf and is in it for the right reasons. Yeah. I think part of, you know, while you were talking, I was like, ooh, you know, something that I feel we try to push is transparency. And I, I feel that coming from you also just you know, through Crave, but your own just like personal, you know, self and and persona, you know, how much you share and how passionate you are about your craft. Um, And I think that that's something that, you know, you, you don't necessarily see a lot of. And that's, um, again, like, I'm going to put my money in a company that is like, oh, I feel like this person is an actual genuine human. And like, they're likely going to have my best interest in mind. So I think that that's, Thank you, know, you. Something for me that that I look for and that I think brands and, and people starting businesses should, should should really strive for. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, I think when the magic of social media, I think, you know, I, I was not a big fan of social media and Instagram and all those things in, in the very beginning. It took me a long time. But, you know, I think this is part of the world that we live in. And um, I have found the most valuable thing for me is that when I can see posts from other people that is very sincere and genuine and they make me feel they share an experience where they made me feel like I'm less alone 
And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that you can impart onto someone. And so I found that because my experience as a person of color, as an entrepreneur, as a designer, um, whenever I found that I've shared little tidbits that I've like dared to be vulnerable and put out there, I've just gotten so much, you know, like DMs and drags, like, oh my God, like I feel the same. And I'm like, wow, okay, then this is, you know, this is worthy of putting out there if it's of, you know, used to other people. So, um, so yeah, I hope we use social channel, social media in, in the right way, you know, as, as it evolves. That's amazing. So uh, one one last question to sort of round this out. I'm curious from a design aspect, are, are there any like hot designers, industrial or, or otherwise that we need to like, wh- what's the next wave of like really cool design? Where should we be looking? Oh, man. Um, yeah, you know, because I think today industrial design um, is traditionally been a lot of hard goods. And because now there's so many things that are now kind of woven with um, the digital realm um, and this interesting ecosystem of now a lot of hard goods also needs to be connected, you know, and um, but then at the same time, there's some hard goods that's it's becoming even more disconnected. You know, it's just like trends. Whenever you have like a trend, you're going to have the opposite trend happening at the same time. And so you're finding this like really interesting divergent, like two ends of kind of design approach. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I do a lot of my inspiration searches on social media. Um, I look up hashtags um, and I'm constantly still trying to discover, you know, new, new voices, um, because they're definitely in, and also a good one, just as a tip, um, hashtag like Milan design week or, mm. um, London design week. Um, any of these, those festival hashtags are really interesting to me. Um, that's what I look a lot, um, on social media for on Twitter or Instagram, because that is when just new and upcoming designers that have the gusto to put themselves out there, have something that they want to say. Um, it's a good way to kind of just, you know, get a little glimpse into that world. So, yeah, I love it. I will definitely, uh, you know, be Instagram. It sounds like design porn to me. And uh, I can't wait to go down a rabbit hole because uh, who doesn't love looking at pretty things? Um, yeah. <laughs> truly, though, truly. Um, well, T, we really appreciate your time. This has been a pleasure. I wish we could take longer uh, and just talk about all kinds of things. But um, want to, of course, be respectful of of your busy schedule. But uh, on behalf of the Rebellious team, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I, I, I was, uh, yeah, LOLing the whole time. <laughs> so good. Um, thank you. Absolutely. And of course, to my team, Evie and Rachel, thank you for your time. Uh, Appreciate you both. Um, Y'all, thanks for tuning in. Again, find us pretty much anywhere you can download your podcast, Rebellious PR, Pitch Please. Um, Subscribe, do all the things. We've been talking about social media. We, of course, are all over it. So be sure to follow, like, all of the things. Um, We will be back soon with another episode and another trailblazer for you. I'm Megan Jones, and this is Pitch Please. Pitch Please.